Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. Each week, we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. We have the biggest poll of them all today. The only poll that matters is the one on Election Day. That sounds and vaguely familiar. We had Election Day yesterday. Yeah. It is 8 a.m. the day after. We are uh, still counting votes in some places. The House, as of press time, and by press time I mean my Uber ride over here, I think Democrats had 26 pickups in the in the can with a bunch still on the bubble, potential to break their way, but like still too close to call. Right. I think that was I was looking at Vox on the way over. So Democrats will certainly take the House uh, and it may it will most likely be by a touchdown or two. Uh, Meanwhile, Republicans really sort of surprising, um, not just holding the Senate, but actually making some pretty significant gains there. Uh, So we're going to discuss, did the polls get it right? Um, Margie, what grade do you give the pollsters? Not (laughs) us personally, because we always get an A. What grade do you give the pollsters globally for last night? I feel like the pollsters should get an A of some kind, I suppose. I mean, I think that obviously there's still there's still some stuff that's happening, right? Not everything has been counted, not everything has been called, not every pollster, you know, did everything exactly right. But I think, and I do want to look a little bit at the at the upshot relative to final accounting. However, are the basic sense of what was going to happen happened? I mean, I, I think. We should have expected and we we tried to expect, although nobody wanted to really fully emotionally expect what happened. But I think people expected Democrats to win the House and Republicans to do well in the Senate and for Democrats to make some gains in state chambers, in gubernatorial races and in uh, legislative chambers. And that's what happened. Yeah. The forecasts this time around had, I believe, 538s was somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 percent chance that Democrats would take the House. And that's what happened. Uh, And it's likely that it's going to be by 35-ish seats. Like a low to mid-30s. Low to mid-30s, which is pretty much what the forecasts said. And then the the Senate, you know, 85 percent chance going into election night that Republicans would keep or gain. That's what happened. But I I give the pollsters, again, not us, but pollsters globally, I think a C plus. Whoa. In part, and again, this is, I'm I'm not looking at the House races alone, um, but if you think about it, we are going to be stuck answering questions about Florida, about Indiana, about Missouri. Like there are a handful of high profile races some of these Senate races where 
I mean, so I've got the the real clear politics polling averages pulled up here. If you look, the real clear politics average in the end had Gillum by 3.6. The four sort of major-ish media polls, you had Quinnipiac with Gillum by seven, St. Pete polls with Gillum by five, Emerson with Gillum by five. And again, in this race, talking about the governor's race, but tracked pretty closely with the the Senate race where you also had NBC Marist having Nelson by five. And that's not what happened. Um, that was six points off. And you, as pollsters, we can argue, well, that, well, within margin of error, you know, margin of error is going to be plus or minus four points. Right. And that that's for both candidates' figure. So technically, you know, if you find Gillum plus five, that could mean as far as, you know, DeSantis by three. And so you can make these arguments that it was in within margin of error. But I think people outside our industry just don't care. And so we're going to be stuck. And and also it's because the places where the projections were pretty right, like, I mean, if you looked at Cook Political Report, like their analysis was pretty dead on, like the races that were toss-ups were toss-ups. Slightly more than half of them broke to the Democrats, that sort of thing. Right. You know, those those projections were all right. But the big marquee races People are going to go, oh, how did Beto O'Rourke get so close to you guys? You guys missed that. You said he didn't have a chance. And and I still think that the polls were not as off as is going to be sold. But we're still going to be answering tough questions, I think, about Florida. In Indiana, in Indiana, you had Mike Braun winning that race by almost 10 points. And the Real Clear Politics average had Donnelly plus 1.3. Like, that's big. Yeah. That's a polling miss. But in, but Miz- in Texas, Missouri, though, okay. Well, yeah, okay. Missouri's another one where you had, you know, the final polling average. I mean, it kept being tie, tie, tie. You all clearly the way had along. a better night's sleep than I uh, have. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just about, sorry, breaking. All right, go continue. <laughs> I also, you can crowd. I had, I did I, no booze last night. I had hummus. Yeah, no. Hummus and pita chips. So well, I. <laughs> That, that this is all now coming very very clear and how our how our evenings differed. Okay, continue. Keep going. I was eating health I'm food. Like, I'm like, well, wait, what time? What time is it? Okay, keep going. You, you had Josh Hawley win yeah. by six, and the polling averages showed that it was going to be Hawley by point six. So I think in some of these marquee Senate races, you did have the polls underestimate Republicans by a good four to right. five So was points. there like, so, and I guess if you have Indiana, if you make the case for Indiana and Missouri, then it's not like a Bradley or Wilder effect in Florida, which I think some might want to say that people aren't going to be truthful. The Bradley effect and the Wilder effect is this sort of the predates the shy Trumper theory, which is that respondents don't want to admit their uh, how they're going to vote, especially if they feel social pressure to say that they are going to vote for a minority candidate. That's a little bit different than shy Trumper, but of of a piece, it's similar. But do you, if you make the case that there was polling error in Indiana and Missouri, that you know that's probably not what was happening. I mean, there's it's not a shy shy Holly voter or a shy Brown voter effect, that's probably yeah, well, and not I, a thing. And I, I would also say a part of the reason why I say C plus is that my sense is that a lot of private polling was different. Um, so I, you know, I had been being from Florida, I had been talking to folks involved in the races down there. And and they had sort of always been telling me, like, this is a lot closer than the public polls have. Like Marist and Quinnipiac don't know what they're talking about. And, and you know, I, I, you don't – I trust my friends. I don't think that they're spinning me. But I don't know what their pollsters are using for their models 
even with public polls, you can kind of know what their sample looks like, but you don't totally know what all their assumptions right. are. And so when you're, you've got one person saying, our model shows Scott by one, and you've got NBC Marist saying, we've got Nelson by five, you're like, all right, well, let's see how this goes. And so you can't say categorically that polling is broken if the private pollsters who are really working to get this right and very well resourced are still doing so. Um, but I, I still think even though the polls generally guided us in the right direction, there are enough high profile races that you and I are going to have to be defending the polling industry for the next two you years, know, fairly I mean, or unfairly. I would say perhaps – I mean I hear what you're saying. I would say perhaps – I mean Texas, for example, Texas was one where, you know – the polls show that Cruz had the advantage. People wanted to believe in the in Beto. Mm-hmm. The polls, all, I mean, if you look at the RCP polling average, it was, you know, all the last, all the final polls showed Cruz up. I, there were far more polls that showed Cruz up than than Beto up. The their average never shows Beto that the enrolling average never shows Beto up. Mm-hmm. So people wanted to believe that it was you know turnout enthusiasm and the mania and whatever else that that would carry Beto over the line. And you know folks who would talk about this privately would say you know there there's no you know Beto is unlikely to come out on top. So I think that was one that where voters should, you know, people who are watching the polls should not have been surprised. You know, it would have been a surprise if he had won. So that's one I think where, you know, the polls got it right. And, and the over and, you know, I think in a lot of house races, there were obviously there's always going to be a few surprises. But overall, I think pe- things went the way you thought that they were going to go. Well, and there were some races in the Senate that were perfect. I mean, the public polling average lined up exactly with the marge, final margin, like freakishly close, like closer than you than it needs to be for it to still be considered a polling win. In North Dakota, um, you wound up having uh, Kevin Kramer. He wound up winning that r- race by, and I just had this pulled up, uh, 55 to 44. Uh, so this was a race, you know, an 11-point margin. And there, the final polling average was Kramer plus nine. Um, both Fox News and Trafalgar Group had that right. Uh, So you had North Dakota, got it right. Arizona, you had the final polling average, uh, McSally plus one. The final result is McSally plus 0.8. I mean, so you you had a lot of places where the polls were perfect. Um, But I I just think there was – and I also think that this is like media narrative building. And I think part of why even though Democrats had a very good night in the House, you have this – you know, well, it was a split decision. Oh, did Democrats underperform? Because Florida happened so early and was such a surprise and such good news for Republican that that sort of sent, yeah, in, in scare quotes, the narrative in one direction from which it never really recovered. Yep. Even as the like, hey, Democrats got Nevada or, you know, hey, look, they're flipping Oklahoma five. Like even as all that stuff was happening, like the this is not a wave train had kind of left the station. And I think it's fair to say that this was not a tsunami and maybe some folks were out over their skis and predicting it. I, yes, I think that's totally fair to say. And I think, you know, if you were looking for something to be happy about on either side, you could find it. Yes. And you can find. So if you are a Republican who believes that the Trumpist direction of the party is potentially disastrous for 2020. 
you need look no further than Republicans getting wiped out in the Texas suburbs, right? right? Losing Culberson, losing Sessions, things like the the our our friend Jennifer Sarver, yep. you know that district where she didn't win the primary. Chip Roy won the primary. He won that seat, but I think by less than two points. Really? And that's like a red seat, right? So, right. Imagine if you had Golly, Texas suburbs. If the you know Republican bench had a bunch of Jen Sarvers as opposed to Santos. Here's the counter argument: Carlos Carbello gone. Will Hurd. Barely maybe. one, yeah. maybe, maybe we one. don't know. We yeah, still, still, like, it, there's like it's like a couple hundred vote margin right now. Um, Barbara Comstock gone. Like a lot of these House moderates who had tried to distance themselves from Trump from time to time, they're the ones who were gone. Meanwhile, Ron DeSantis, who gave Trump a bear hug and made that ad about his kid reading, you know, wearing a MAGA hat, he is now going to be governor of Florida. So if you are a Trump fan, you can really argue that in the Senate where people ran the Trump playbook, where Martha McSally, who had been a critic of the president, suddenly becomes, you know, a, a big MAGA fan and like, hey, she, but it, she appears to have pulled it off. Like, this is a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure result, um, at least on the Republican side. Yeah. But I think in the end, the being more like Trump was the right strategy narrative is going to prevail. I mean, but didn't the Democrat win in the South Carolina House seat where uh, Mark Sanford For was sure, primary? Yep. Not, she lost that race. Yeah. And then if you look at Adam Laxalt, who was running for governor of Nevada, he lost. He was like a junior Trump. Chris and Kobach Chris Kobach. Kobach. You're, you're... I'm building up to that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's <I'm> OK. <laughs> I was on the Laura Kelly team. I'm incredibly happy to be part of the fantastic woman-led Laura Kelly team um, uh, and Chris Kobach, who is, you know, very similar to Kemp and DeSantis and Laxalt. And they're, you know, they have been on the Trump train. They were standing. They were first in line when, you know, the people who are first in line at the cellar, they were first in line for the Trump train. They are right there for early boarding, pre-boarding. They are right there. And, um, you know, not all of those people won. And that was not a successful path in um, in Kansas that is more moderate and independent like Laura Kelly. Anyway, so I think people who are looking to see, for, you know, to be vindicated on the right, you know, m- can find a way to feel that way. I'm, obviously, I'm sure the president's going to find a way to feel that way. I don't think that's actually borne out in a systemic way that you could say like, oh, yes, this is we're this is clearly we're on the path for health for the party in the country. I don't think you could say that because look at the gender gap. I mean, the gender gap. Didn't exit polls had women plus 20 D? Yes, plus t- 19. And so Dem- so women want so Democrats won the House with women voting Democratic and men voting Republican, which is the first time that I've seen that happen. So that is, you know, usually when Democrats have won the House, that men have also voted Democratic, just not by as large margins as women's. But this time men voted Republican, women voted Democratic. And that has come from college educated women, not non-college women. That is that is where that margin really you know, is even wider with college-educated women. White women overall were evenly divided, 49-49. White women voted for Trump in 2016, 53. Now it's 49-49. That's, you know, in the, in the House races. So um, so what does that mean for what's next and the historic number of women candidates? Is this going to – are we going to build on that? And, you know, that sort of Trumpy type of candidate 
is is only going to exacerbate that trend. Well, and I think the fact that Republicans did so poorly in some, you know, slightly denser areas um I think underscores the importance of young voters who tend to live in these or prefer to live in denser areas. Um, I think that the the selfie vote has arrived narrative is has been muted by the fact that turnout was up among everyone. Right. Um, you had, I think, over 110 million votes. Ca- I mean, like 50 percent turnout in the midterm is really, really, really high. So what does that mean for the next presidential? Um, who Who knows? But in this race, you had, according to the exit polls, young voters breaking for Democratic candidates by about the same margin that they broke for Obama over McCain in 2008, like which has not happened in a midterm. Mm -hmm. In the last two midterms, young voters broke for Democrats by like eh, like 10 or 11 points. And then in 2006, which was the last big Dem midterm wave, Young voters broke for Democratic candidates by, I think, like 22 points. But there, there wasn't a huge generation gap because, like, no one liked Republicans that year. Mm -hmm. This year, the national exit polls showed young voters breaking by such enormous, unprecedented margins. And I don't think that's going to get the airtime it deserves because people are going to go, yeah, but Republicans kept the Senate. Yeah, but Republicans kept the Senate in states where – Younger voters aren't as much of a factor, I don't think. Right, right. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, if when selfie vote 2.0 as a concept emerges. Yeah, you and my literary agent. <laughs> and now, are there, be, are there Republicans right now, like, you know, just sort of like <laughs> going through the selfie vote? Like, I assure you that's not happening. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, like Quick, get me that selfie vote off the shelf. <laughs> and like I'm doing kind of a thing of like when you which I hate, but I'm doing it for a comedic effect just for Kristen and Richard, like licking your finger while to turn a page, which I just like I cannot stand like when people do that. I don't know why that bothers me. So anyway, that's how I envision like a variety of Republican operatives now. <laughs> and they're and they're like <laughs> Their little palms. <laughs> Mitch McConnell's <laughs> currently using it as a coaster. <laughs> Let's like, be for real. Hey, maybe one of the le- one of the eighty five lessons from this election cycle is we should be you know reaching out to younger voters more. Yeah. Well, or look, maybe we should just build our base only in states where the population is getting older and older. <laughs> you, you choose. Uh, so I mean, we are we are going to be engaged in the world of rank punditry for the next. I was going to say 24 hours, but more like 20, 10 minutes. I got 20, 10 minutes. 20, I was going to say 24 months. This song like, had never. Like, how, much more, how much more in this dog are you going to do? I am laughing, though. At ha- so I, I'm, doing a, uh, I'm doing a thing on the BBC later today, and I did my pre-interview this morning because, you know, in the UK, like texting me at 5 a.m. U.S. time is like lunch for them. It doesn't seem like a big deal. Uh, I did this pre-interview where, like, Half of the questions were about 2020. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, here we go. Like yeah. the midterms are we – are, we are not even a couple hours past polls yeah, being we don't even know. closed. Yeah, we don't even know what's going to happen. Already on There's going to be a runoff in Mississippi. I mean there's all kinds of stuff we don't, we don't know yet. Yeah. So who do you think were the big winners of last night? And, do, and don't give me like an, the American people <laughs> – no, I mean people are still divided. I wasn't going to yeah, say yeah, the American yeah. people. Of course not. <laughs> I know. I know you better. I'm just saying. <laughs> we're like we're all still incredibly divided. That's not you know that's still true. I, I mean I, you know I don't know if 
I don't know if there had been a really massive decision one way or the other, if that would have been less true. I don't, there's no way for me to know that. But I know that people still feel divided. And then the people who feel that things are more divided voted more Democratic, according to the exits. People feel like, oh, this is just kind of how it's always, how it always is. They, those folks voted more Republican. But still, uh, you know, this sense that we feel like tense is probably magnified by this kind of split decision in this like rural versus urban, suburban, you know, young versus old, men versus women stuff that's happening. I know it's obviously a lot more complicated than that, but that's still, you know, going to hi- those divides are going to be con- continue to feel highlighted. Um, but I think, you know, I think Democrats, uh, Democratic gubernatorial candidates won in places that were it wasn't necessarily about Trump, but like Scott Walker, you know, lost uh, governor's race. I mean, uh, there are a variety of other governors' races that uh, that were successful. A lot of state chambers uh, flipped to Democratic side. I think it's like six or seven chambers flipped. Republican trifectas were broken up. Trifectas where the Republican holds uh, the governor's uh, governor's uh, mansion as well as both both chambers in the in uh, the legislature. So a lot of those trifectas have been broken up and more Democratic trifectas have started. So I think that's good news. There was some there was a lot of ground for Democrats to make up there. And I think people feel pretty successful about it. the second chances ballot measure in Florida. That was one that I was watching. I helped host a postcard party in um, uh, to help do GOTV postcards for the second chances ballot measure. I think Amendment 4 in Florida that would restore Voting rights to 1.4 million felons who have served their uh, their sentence, and so I think there's been I think probably the last thing I don't know it's, we'll see what happens in Georgia, but I think the sense that voting is a right that needs to be protected, that is under threat, that is something we need to fight for. I know that that's that's troubling, but it's also a positive that people feel that. And I think the turnout from the election is a real sign. And, you know, the real challenge that people, the more salient people, uh, this issue of vote suppression and making sure people are, you know, protecting their right to vote is really big. I mean, you saw it in Kansas, you saw it in Georgia, you see in a lot of places. Um, I think that's something that's, I mean, full frontal, the Samantha B show was like retweeting vote suppression stuff and had like a map showing where there were people complaining about some sort of voting issue in their state. I mean, that's this has really become quite a big issue and one that people feel they need to fight for. And I think that's an important outcome, glass half full, glass half empty, that we need to revisit it. But it's still, I think, an interesting part of this. I will say now I'm going to use the who's the winner last night, the American people answer. When I say turnout getting as high as it did, like good job, America. We can always do better. 50 percent turnout is abysmal if you go to a country like New Zealand (laughs) where they like freak out if it's only 74 (laughs) percent turnout. Um, But nonetheless, like a lot of you guys voted. And that's wonderful. So probably the, all of you guys listen well, to this show. Yeah, <laughs> I would bet you would bet you the voter turnout from from our listeners is pretty high. Um, I, I would also say I am giving a preliminary kudos to steely-eyed missile man Nate Cohn, who provided most of that house polling that the public had. Uh, I am just scrolling through the list now, and again, in all, most of these races, it was eight to ten percent undecided. So you could kind of argue like. If they hadn't turned out perfect, like, well, you had a lot of undecideds. You don't know how they're going to break. But, I mean, they had, I believe, did Claudia Tenney hold on in New York 22? They had Claudia Tenney up by one. Fazo lost in New York 19. They had him down by one. Barr, didn't he squeak it out Mm -hmm. against McGrath? I think so, yeah. Uh, They had that race tied. 
Um, did Alyssa Slotkin win against Bishop in Michigan oh, 8? No. I feel like Bishop hung on there. That was one where they had Slotkin up by no, 7. she won. She won? Yep. Okay, by how much? Uh, like four points. Okay. So an- good. another one in the good job, Nate Cohn. They had Steve King holding on. How did Washington 8 turn out? Did I don't they- think they've called it yet. Okay. Early. But wa- they had um, and they had Lucy McBath up two, up a couple, and she's up not a couple, but she's up by a little bit. So they, yeah. I don't think they've called that yet. They had yet. Underwood beating Holtgren in the Chicago excerbs. Uh, here they had Brett uh, trailing Spanberger by two, but that's pretty close. And it also didn't account for the... For Surge, Margie and Lucy's GOTV. Every freaking person I know in D.C. who's a Democratic operative getting in the car and driving down uh, Spamberger. I know. We're like – so that was where I did my GOTV <laughs> with Lucy and like somebody – like I posted on Facebook, unbeknownst to Lucy, if you see her, do not tell her anything you've seen about that I've ever tweeted or put on Facebook. I know. I got in trouble for that one. <laughs> I'm like always behind her like, no, don't say that. <laughs> <You> saw, like, <laughs> she, she asked me yesterday. She's like, why did you tell – Elliot's dad about <laughs> about my question about the parties. I was like, oh, I'm, I should not tell you that. I told actually the entire world, <laughs> not just <laughs> Elliot's dad, but okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, anyway, yeah, Ab- Abigail Spamberger, she was a crowd favorite for sure. So, um, so I think that was probably in no small part, maybe perhaps boosted a little bit by the influx of DC folks who are, you know, really rooting for. Yeah. So, I mean, these these results just as I'm scrolling through look pretty right. You know, they had uh, – how do you – in Iowa 3, Cindy Axney? Axney, I think. Cindy Axney up two over Young, which she wound up prevailing. Um, you had in Utah 4, McAdams and Love tied. And I think that race still has not been called. Maybe not. I don't know. It, when I went to bed, it hadn't been. I have not looked it up yet. Uh, one surprise, they had Donovan up over Rose 44 in that Staten Island, New York 11 district, which is not how it panned out. Um, but you're not going to get them all. And like the fact that I'm looking through this list and I mean, close races were pegged as close races. And yeah. in a lot of cases, even in the close races, they got it right. Like, it looks like to you, Nate Cohn. It looks like AP is calling it for Mia Love, but 68 percent reporting and she's down, you know, so I don't know. They had Harrell up by one in New Mexico, too. They had Roskam losing in Illinois, six. They had, uh, oh, they, I think they had Rodney Davis winning by four, which he wound up losing. Isn't that right? He, I think he wound up, I think he, sorry, we're, we're, we obviously prepared greatly. <laughs> and by prepared, I mean like slept for three Rodney hours. Davis won. Rodney Davis won. Okay. Well, he, in this, this poll shows him winning by, uh, winning by five. Um, yeah. So the, like the record that these polls had was pretty darn good. Um, there are a handful where they're off by little, but as I, but I'm also realizing like I'm scrolling through and I'm now down like, oh, okay, Virginia five. They had Coburn up over Riggleman by a point, but this was a poll that was in the field in mid October. So like right. at a certain point, you stop being like, oh, you're responsible for having exactly pegged the margin because like weeks passed between yes, the end of the poll. Yes, yes, Anyhow, I'm trying to just say I was a skeptic of I thought this you were poll. Gra- I thought you were grading the pollsters a C. I great- am C plus, C plus, and I am still grading the pollsters broadly a C plus because we are going to have to deal with the headaches from the big Senate misses. Yeah. And and which then sort of made this, you know, like I, that's that's just a thing we're going to have to deal with. 
So it's like I'm, I'm taking off a point for pain and suffering. Like you guys are going to make me have to defend this industry. Everybody's going to be like, but you guys said that Andrew Gillum was going to win. Like that. Not that's me. My not life. me, guys. That's my life <laughs> for the next six months until we forget this midterm. Actually, six hours until we forget this midterm and we're on to the presidential. So anyhow, kudos to you, Nate Cohn. And what I think is especially important about this and that I will point to is the, tran- the like radical transparency of this project that I criticized along the way for releasing partial results and that I still think is terrifying. Um, but the fact that they were saying, look, this is how many phone calls we did to get X number of responses was super, super valuable because it shows just how berserk it is that random sampling right. still kind of works. Yeah. Like it it seems like bizarre voodoo magic. Yeah. But it kind of still works. Wasn't there some quote, like my favorite person to quote that I've never met or spoken to, Cliff, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Cliff Zuckin, which I think he was like the APOR president at one time or something. I think it's Zuckin. Right. We go way back. And so, but I quote him constantly. (laughs) And he said, I mean, he said something like, I think it was him, like, we don't, response rates keep falling, but... Um, we're still able to mostly predict public opinion. No one really knows why. I think that's him. If it wasn't you and it was somebody else, sorry. Um, but it's something like that, that there's, it, it, there, you know, response rates just, conti- you know, have fallen and continue to fall. But yet we're still, you know, able to do a decent job of having a good understanding uh, of the electorate. I forget what I had a really important well, point. Why don't, we, why don't we take a quick break, <laughs> okay. hear from our sponsor, and then we'll come right back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay. We're back from the break. <laughs> Margie's definitely not having a breakdown here. <laughs> um, so a- as we're sort of wrapping things up, I mean, there was uh, there was a, t- a-, a CNN segment the day before the midterms where a friend of the show, Mary Catherine Hamm, was on. And the-, the-, the panel became like a let's trash on the pollster. Again, not us personally. Right. The pollsters globally. Yes. Um, as a group. And – in that discussion, it was very funny because nobody really liked pollsters. Mary Catherine pulled the, I have lots of friends who are pollsters. Some of my best friends are pollsters. Some of my best friends are pollsters. Um, but Bakari Sellers, who I love, I was like watching the segment like with my hands over my face like, please, nobody say it. Nobody say it. And he goes, you know, I've never been polled. And I was like, No! <laughs> Yeah. I love you, Bakari. No. Don't use that argument. It's just, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, you know. But we're going to hear things... a lot more of that. Yeah, I, I know. When you, I mean, be... it's always a thing where if you really know a topic and then you hear people talk about it, you know, cover it, you're like, you're missing some facts. You know, you're missing some stuff. So sometimes, you know, now there's a whole industry of people who cover polling, but there are lots of people who talk about polling who do not cover polling as their day job. And sometimes they lapse into these kind of polling polling myths. I wound up grabbing the Pew Research Center FAQ on like, because yes. the, the 
first question yeah. in the FAQ is like, but I haven't been polled. How do the polls work? And it's this be- beautifully, simply written thing. So I just tweeted that. I think that was helpful to many people. But that's, you know, that's... And Pew does those great videos about methodology, which folks should check it out. That would be, you know, they they, people have asked us to do that. We're not probably not going to do that. Pew is doing it, so (laughs) you should you should check out what they've been doing. I mean, I you know, I think polling aside, I oh here, so here's the other thing I want to talk about too, which is, and I think this will be part of the. There will be a couple things in terms of the narrative that emerges. And one is, you know, using polling to try to figure out why people voted the way they did, what drove them, what mattered to them. And we've talked a lot about – and the exit polls are just a poll and it it can't get the full complexity because they have to be kind of short and brief and easy to replicate and consistent across states and all that jazz. Um, But they did show something that we've talked about a lot. Uh, on the show, which is the importance of healthcare and the importance of the issues that really matter, and what you know, Democrats were running on. Democrats were running on healthcare. Healthcare was a top driver. People who said healthcare was important were more likely to vote Democratic. Also, gun policy. So they have gun policy as one of the questions, one of the reasons, one of the most important issues that you can vote on. And that was, you know, there's. There was, I think it was 10 percent in the national exit polls that said gun policy. And those voters were disproportionately Democratic. The folks who said gun policy mattered to them were disproportionately Democratic. Um, That is, you know, a new phenomenon from this election cycle that guns is a positive for Democrats. That is like upends, you know, decades of conventional wisdom. It didn't have to be that way. Now it's not that way. And, And that, I think, is a real tribute to all the activists out there, citizen activists and leaders and people who've been sort of putting in kind of long patient work here. So I think that is a real clear winner and good outcome from this election. There is lots of good stories on the Democratic side. I know people are bummed about some of the, you know, races that people spend a lot of time following. I mean, that's, I think, an interesting issue. Like, why do we spend so much time following like two or three races? I mean, I know why, but there are so many other stories to tell. And there's lots of content, lots of places people can go get all those stories, but you end up kind of focusing on a couple that drive the whole national thing. But there are so many good stories to tell on the left that I think people can find a lot to be really excited about. And gun policy is one of them. Can I give you a presidential tweet update? Cool. Yes. Get Buckle up. Ugh. In all fairness, oh, God. Nancy Pelosi deserves to be chosen as Speaker of the House by the Democrats. If they give her a hard time, perhaps we will add some Republican votes. She has earned this great honor. Exclamation point. Thoughts? (laughs) That seems like more like, I mean, I don't want to say. Six-dimensional chess that's actually checkers? No. (laughs) No. I mean, it just seems like more tactical than is usual, like, like, belch of a tweet. You well, know? Like, I, I got another one. I got another I, one. Like it's not. I mean, yeah. Stand by. I got another one. To any of the pundits or talking heads that do not give us proper credit for this great midterm election, <laughs> just remember two words, fake news. <laughs> I did not make that up. It, I'm, I'm, of course you didn't make that up. my screen. <laughs> that is really what is occurring. Uh, yeah. That's funny. I mean... 
Sure. Okay. It's. I mean, what, I, what is proper credit? I, Who's the judge of proper credit? I'm giving you proper credit of of no credit. That's maybe you could say that's proper. credit. Would he like credit for losing the house? Because I was sure waiting for like a. <laughs> I was waiting for like a a dart to get a Twitter dart to get thrown at Paul Ryan. I guess maybe he's saving that. It's still. It it's not even nine a.m. <laughs> so oh, that's the true. Morning it's is not... young. It's not even 9 a.m. Yeah. So there's – look, this is a – this is a segment that is – despite having tons of new data, we don't have new polls. I mean we've discussed the polling accuracy, but there's still a lot of races to sift out, a lot of data to sift through. Yes. So come back to us next week. We'll have had a chance to really dig in a little more to the what the heck happened question – Almost certainly there will be a couple things. I'm sure people are doing post-election polls that will get released that will further break down the whys. I mean, we can tell from the exit polls so far to the extent that you trust them that healthcare was a really huge helpful yep. issue for the Democrats, that in the Senate where Republicans did well, things like immigration and there's some speculation that Kavanaugh was helpful in the Senate-ish. We'll be able to tease a little more of that stuff it's out. It's hard to – I mean, look, my just two cents on that is uh, can you really tell from the self-report of people who are Republicans? I mean, you know, these are people who are who – who most likely self-identify as Republicans – you, what you would need to know is to, did it boost turnout, which is kind of hard to tell from an exit poll because it's self-report. Conversations with Republican strategists suggest that it did boost, that they saw shifts in internal numbers, but we can't verify that externally. Right, right. You can just ask people, did it matter to you? And they can say yeah. yes. And you don't know if that actually boosted their turnout or enthusiasm or anything else, right? So I I would find that a little bit like just don't don't believe the like immediate narrative that everyone's sort of pre-written about that. And the national numbers suggest that people were, you know, the opposite was true as people were met. And also, by the way, two-thirds of folks in the exit poll said we should keep Roe the way it is, by the way. So even so that's more, that's a larger spread than any of the kind of cat than the Kavanaugh question. But the reason why, even though Republicans just lost the House and Democrats are now going to have subpoena power and the ability to annoy the ever-loving bejesus out of the Trump administration by constant investigation into all of the stuff. The, the – by Republicans <laughs> – was that a good euphemism? No, good. All of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, that Republicans in not only keeping the Senate but expanding that majority, like that gives President Trump the ability to nominate Amy Coney Barrett 18 months from now and not even blink. Like – that if if you are a Republican who's like Meh, on Trump on everything but judges, you are thrilled with last night because you couldn't care less that every you know the member of the Trump family is going to be getting dragged in front of Congress constantly to talk about Russia and deals and whatever, whatever. Fine, Ivanka's um, Ivanka's um, trademarks in trademark for China. a voting machine. <laughs> yeah. I've you know, it goes well with, you know, neutral pumps or something, I guess. <laughs> the, that if you are a more establishment-y Republican, like, you could kind of care less about that stuff as long as your judges are getting confirmed. And, the uh, like, that's all the Senate mattered for. And that's what Republicans got. So this is a – again, it's a choose-your-own-adventure election. There are lots of ways right. people of very different views. The 2020 claim, claim map that for the Senate is – I mean, the, the map for Democrats for the Senate this time around was 
it was was bad. It was bad. You had a lot of, you know, you Democrats in states who, even though they were used to running in red states, they were states that went double digits for Trump, lots of them. In 2020, you have there are Democrats running in states that voted for Trump, but by smaller margins or more purple states who have more recently voted for Democrats like Colorado and Iowa and so on. So we'll we'll see. North Carolina, et cetera. Yep. We will have a lot of post-election polls, I suspect, next week. We have one that is be- that is being released today. It's embargoed by noon, but R- Richard says uh, this is going out at noon anyway. So we are meeting the embargo, and it's a poll that we did, our firm, for the group J Street of Jews, Jews who voted, self-identified Jews who voted um, in this election. And one thing, you folks should go take a look at it. We'll put it in the show notes once it uh, goes live. Um, I... Left the office late last night. I came back in this morning, and people were still there <laughs> working on this. The uh, I think one thing that's interesting and interesting finding from this is seventy two percent of Jews said that Trump's comments and policies are either very or somewhat responsible for the shooting at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh. So look for that data. There's a lot more in there, including Jews' uh, views toward Netanyahu, which I think have dropped over the last few cycles when we've uh, done this poll. But um, but folks should take a look. Well, thanks, everybody. If you want to find us, you can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters individually at at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson at www.thepollsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we will post links to the stories we think you all want to talk about. Thanks. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks.